Last week we concluded chapter 2 of Paul's letter to the Philippians. I told you that last week there were not really the the usual memory verses, life verses, um, but it still was God's Word nonetheless and instructed us on how to be family together. Today we begin in chapter 3. These are life verses. These are verses that um, are life to me. So let's read the first 11 verses. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is of no trouble to me and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is God's word. This spoke to the church in Philippi that first century. This is now God's word to us this day. So today we come to the theme of confidence. What is our confidence? Do you have confidence in life? How do we get more confidence if we don't have enough confidence? Some of you may be interviewing for new jobs or applying to schools. You'll need some confidence going into that interview. Some of you will be those who interview those people. And you'll be looking for confidence. According to a article just two years ago in Forbes magazine. Here's 10 ways you can now build your confidence. Get things done. Check things off the list. That will build confidence. Monitor your progress. Do the right thing. Exercise. Number five, and be fearless. Number six, stand up for yourself. Seven, follow through. Eight, think long term. Nine, don't care what others think of you. Number 10, do more of what makes you happy. And the article says, building confidence, it's tricky because confidence itself is built on different things. But overall, it's built on the choices and the accomplishments that feed your passion and that make you feel happy and proud of who you are. It's an easy way to make that a clickbait article. Just 10 ways to build your confidence. But Derek, don't. We're in church now. You're the preacher. Get to us in God's Word. We've already read in chapter 1 of Philippians 1. And most of all, most of the brothers, having become 
confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more now bold to speak the word without fear. Paul is writing this letter that we just read from house arrest in Rome. He is suffering for the sake of the gospel. Because of his witness to Christ, he's now been on a long journey from Jerusalem now to house arrest in Rome. And some of the brothers seeing his suffering are now more confident in the Lord. They have become more confident in the Lord because it is Christ who served Christ Jesus the Lord. He served in the Lord Jesus even in the details of everyday life. Even last week, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you. I trust in the Lord that Epaphroditus is going to come back and you should welcome him. Honor such men. We are to have confidence. What's your trust? What's your hope? What gives you esteem? The Scriptures say it is to be in the Lord. And so last week we looked very quickly at consider what we're to do in the Lord across the Scriptures. We're to believe in the Lord. Be persuaded in the Lord. We're to trust in the Lord. Hope in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Obtain fresh joy in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Boast in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Be strengthened in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. Stand fast in the Lord. Greet others in the Lord. Work hard in the Lord. Testify in the Lord. Revelation 14, 13, die in the Lord. But today we're going to talk about confidence in the Lord. To be in the Lord is to have the Lord be everything from whom we receive all grace and strength. Through Him we have strength and grace and to whom we give glory alone. Confidence. That's what we're going to look at here in chapter 3. We'll look at three movements of flesh versus faith, confidence in the flesh, and then confidence by faith. Finally, my brothers and sisters, look at verse 1. The story is always told, and maybe you whisper it yourselves to your neighbor as you sit here in the gym. So when Derek says, finally, does that mean we're coming to the end? And to Paul's letter to the Philippians, no, we've got two more chapters. We're only halfway. This is not just a finally meaning conclusion. It's no, well then, moreover, and so now, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice is the theme of this epistle. It's repeated, joy repeated five times, rejoice repeated 11 times. I don't care if the gospel is being preached in pretense or in truth. I rejoice. I rejoice because I'm being poured out as an offering for your sake. I pray that you complete my joy by being of the same mind. Receive Epaphroditus in all joy in the Lord. So joy for Paul in the Lord does not mean that everything's going right in life because he's in house arrest. He's been beaten, flogged, shipwrecked, snake bit. Not everything's going right but he is right with the Lord. This is the source of joy. Not having everything go right, but to be right with the Lord. Not from our circumstances, but in Christ, in the Spirit of God. Rejoice 
in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. This is no trouble for me. There's something here. This is for their safety. It's no trouble for me, and it is safe for you. He is now concerned about their safety. And so very quickly here in this first section, we get two commands juxtaposed. Rejoice, which is a positive themed in the Lord, and now we get this negative kind of warning exhortation, look out. It's, it's, it's a safe thing for me to tell you to rejoice because I'm now going to give you exhortation, look out. Look out for, and there's three things we need to look out for. The dogs, the evildoers, the mutilators of the flesh. These are not those who are persecuting the church from outside. This is not the empire. These are people from within. These are false teachers leading astray. Look out for the dogs, the evildoers, and those who mutilate the flesh. Oh, if we could get this, that we would never be so concerned about, well, what, what's our place going to be in the culture? Or what's going to happen now if, if culture and society and nation states even start to go after the church? Let it come. It will purify the church. It will give our resolve in Christ. But the thing that should give us most war- scared, be most fearful of is to see false teaching creep up to the church and fracture us out. Divide us, distract us, dissuade us. Who are these false teachers? These, those who have dogged Paul for now almost 10 years. These are the Judaizers. These are Jewish quote-unquote Christians who are now asserting or maintaining, forcing Gentile believers to say, if you really want to be a follower of this Messiah, this Messiah who's come from nation Israel, then you've now got to obey all the Mosaic law to be a true follower of the Christ, the Messiah. And Paul doesn't mince words here. Look out for the dogs. Now please, this is a different day. Don't think of your, your pet, your labs, your labradoodles. I was talking to Linda about her dog this morning. Don't, don't think of this. Think mangy street dogs. Just scavengers. Just going through the streets of these towns. And in Greco-Roman society, dogs were considered the lowest of animals. And Jews considered them unclean. Jews would even call Gentiles dogs. Do you remember the Syrophoenician woman who begged Jesus for mercy? He said, we don't give the food to, to you. And he said, well, even the dogs eat the crumbs off the master's table. What faith. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. The Judaizers were not just those who were just, mis- they just didn't have just misplaced intentions or just a little bit of er- evil. 2 Corinthians 11, this is how Paul describes them. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. 
And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is a no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. These are leaders in churches, and, God, and Paul is calling them servants of Satan. The mutilators of the flesh. If you want to be a follower of this Messiah, then you must be circumcised along with keeping the whole of the Mosaic law. But as Paul would write to the Galatians, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who would unsettle you would just emasculate themselves. This isn't just, well, they're saying you've got to be circumcised. And Paul's saying you're a mutilator. Just, and just, Paul's just so vivid and cold, just emasculate yourself then. If you're going to get so cut into God's covenant, go emasculate yourself, you mutilator. Would we like this kind of church leader? He's not mincing words. We've come through Philippians and he's had such affection. And so, we've loved his, his joy and his affection. And even though he's suffering, he's rejoicing. And now he gets to the point, he's going to dogs and evildoers and mutilators of the flesh. These are the Judaizers, which appear many times in a lot of his letters. They're trying to preserve God's law and purify the church. But instead, they're confusing the message of the gospel and opposing its advance. J. Gresham Machen, who was a Presbyterian, these are his notes on Galatians. The particular form of merit which they induced men and women to seek was the merit of keeping the law of Moses, particularly the ceremonial law. At first sight, this might seem to destroy the usefulness of this epistle, like Galatians or even these other epistles for us. As we're in no longer danger of wanting to keep Jewish fast and feast. But a little consideration showed that it was not at all the case. The really essential thing about the Judaizers' contention was not found in these particular works of the law that they urged upon believers, but the fact that they urged any works at all. The really serious error in which they fell was not that they carried the ceremonial law into the new dispensation, but that they preached a religion of human merit over and against a religion of divine grace. So the error of the Judaizers is a very modern error indeed, as well as very ancient. It is found in the modern church whenever men and women seek salvation by surrender instead of faith or by their own character instead of the imputed righteousness of Christ, or by making Christ master of their life instead of trusting in the redeeming blood. In particular, it is found whenever men say that the real essentials of Christianity are love and justice and mercy and other virtues, as contrasted with the great doctrines of God's word, they are all just different ways of exalting the merit of man over the cross of Christ. And they are all attacks upon this very heart and core of the Christian faith. It's a long quote. I read it because that was written in the 30s. The 1930s. 
the 1930s, they were opening up Galatians and saying, well, we're not tempted to do Jewish fast and feast, so why should we even be doing this? It's because it's not those particular works, it's just any work that would substitute upon, or add upon the cross of Christ. So as it was in the first century, so it was in the 30s, and so it is today. How do we see the merit of man, our own human merit, being exalted over and against the cross of Christ, both in our faith life and in the American church landscape? We've got to ask that question or else we're going to read this dog's evildoers and mutilators of flesh and just think it's some long-ago error with no application for today. But these are the ones who are truly cut into God's covenant community. We are the circumcision. Those who worship by the Spirit of God. Those who glory in Christ Jesus. Those who put no confidence in the flesh. No confidence. None. Now flesh has different meanings in the scriptures. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, meaning he took on human form. He came as a human person. He had systems and blood, and he, he came in our flesh. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I've been crucified with Christ, so life I now live in the flesh. This is, this, is a diff, this is the positive sense of flesh of how we experience God, the graces of God in humanity. We're not dualist, where we just think everything material is evil and we just need to get to the spirit side. God has come into the material world, the physical world, incarnated into our world and come in flesh. But the flesh of this fallen world, in this connotation, the way Paul uses it here, is of evil. Confidence in the flesh. What is confidence in the flesh? Let me tell you what it is not. It's not, it's any achievement apart from life in the Spirit. Anything that we do apart from the Spirit is some confidence we have in the flesh. For those who live according to the flesh, Romans 8, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set your mind on the flesh is death. But to set your mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot those who are of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's Romans 8. So anything we do apart from the Spirit of God and we're doing in the flesh, Paul says in Romans 8, we're hostile to God and we cannot please God. So when we come to Philippians 3 and we say put no confidence in the flesh, we need to realize that it's the life of the Spirit that is pleasing to God and at peace with God. It's any achievement apart from the faith in Christ. Again in Romans, Romans 4, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, 
he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Let's get this message. Galatians 3. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. So anything we do apart from life in the Spirit, anything we do apart from faith in Christ, anything that we do apart from the glory of God. Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas go into a town and they heal a man who had been lame from birth. And the crowd thought that they were gods come down from heaven. There's a moment. You could selfie that out. Hashtag that. Man, look, you get a lot of glory for healing someone. But he tore his clothes, pleaded with them, friends, why are you doing this? We are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God. There's no confidence in flesh. God alone gets glory. So look out for the dogs the evildoers, the mutilators of the flesh. How are we trying to have confidence in our flesh? Though I have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for the confidence in the flesh, i got more. Paul's confident. Why is Paul so adamant about warning the church about the dogs and the evildoers? Because he himself had relied on his own flesh. Paul ministers from faith with life experience and personal testimony. He remembers when he thought he was right before God and right with God, and yet when it was all nothing but opposition and hostility to God, this self-righteousness. He remembers that. He mourns that, but he celebrates the grace that he now experiences. And he doesn't want anyone else to be walking around in self-righteousness. So look out for the dogs. He sees the danger to the church. He's always, he sees this fragile first century church. And you think that through the centuries we would just get so strong. But we're so fragile, generation to generation. But the Lord is going to build his church. The gates of hell will not come against it, but it's, it's each generation, it's going to, the same error of trying to add to the cross of Christ. He has a love for them. He personally knows them. He knows many of them by name. He had been in their homes. And so what he does here is a technique of a little bit of a mock boasting. He's setting himself up as a foil. You got confidence in the flesh? Check this. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I did all the religious rituals. I was not like the pagans. I was cut into covenant with God the right way. Not only circumcised, but on the eighth day. I am of the people of Israel. I'm not just a proselytic convert. I'm true blood. 
I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. This is the tribe whom Moses called the beloved of the Lord, and whom the love lords and rests between his shoulders. Deuteronomy 33. It was in the tribe of Benjamin where the territory, this is the territory where Jerusalem was housed. This is the only tribe that joined Judah to remain faithful to the Davidic covenant. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm not going to adopt all the Hellenistic ways of the empire. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law of Pharisee, not only am I a Hebrew, I'm a part of the sect that is truly giving ourselves over to the study and codification of the law. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, I'm not just an ordinary Pharisee. No, no, no. I'm committed to stamping out the way. Those people are trying to co-opt our scriptures and say Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. And as to righteousness under the law, I'm blameless. I'm a model of morality. An example of law-keeping. How many of the Judaizers here in the churches could stack up against that? Do you remember the young man who came to Jesus? In Luke 18, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I've kept from my youth. He had confidence in his flesh. He just had a little doubt on whether it was good enough to get him eternal life. He was righteous, this rich young ruler. And see, we're running around trying to get more confidence. We're trying to figure out how do we build confidence. Oh, I gave you the, the other magazine, but it was just, it's the same old message we're trying to retread as articles and blogs and links. Just last month. In the Entrepreneur Magazine, here's 10 more. You want to visualize yourself as who you want to be. Affirm yourself. Do one thing that scares you every day. Question your inner critic. Take the 100 days of rejection challenge. For 100 straight days, do something every day that you'll get rejected in. And then you won't even care. You'll, you'll just, though getting rejection won't even care anymore. You'll get really confident. Self yourself up to win. Help someone else. Care for yourself. Create personal boundaries. Shift to an equality mentality. I mean, some, some of these are just common graces. I mean, it's wisdom we can apply and live into. I'm not saying these are not wrong. I'm just saying, where's our confidence? Where? We're asking the question, how do we build it? The question that needs to be asked is, where is it? Or better yet, who? In whom? To have confidence in the flesh means that we trust in who we are and what we do. If you think you have confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was a good kid. You want the resume? I was obedient. Not necessarily in the Lord, but I was a good kid. Adults appreciated me. Teacher's pet. There was one English class in sixth grade. I went to, there weren't enough chairs. The teacher let me sit at his desk the entire year. He trusted me. I never drank. I didn't drink until I was 30 years old. Never smoked. Never done drugs. I'm a good kid. 
was a good student. I was voted most likely to succeed. I was one of the high school valedictorians, high school class of 92 at Glenver High School. I've got four degrees, all with honors. Bachelor of Arts, Bachelor of Science, Master's of Teaching, Master of Divinity, a Doctor of Divinity. I'm a good person. I'm a good citizen. I had that one speeding ticket when I was 19 years old. A couple years ago, I ran through a stop sign over near Evergreen Cemetery. Nothing else on my record. I was a virgin when I got married. Good person. I've always been in the church. You know what? I even, even I'm a pastor of a church. Even a church planner. If anyone has more confidence, oh, I can I can relish in some self righteousness. See, we're always looking to see how we can build more confidence. If we can have more confidence than the person beside us. As if we think confidence resides within ourselves. We think happiness, success, and fulfillment is dependent upon our self-confidence. So are you a self-confident person? What would you point to? There's been a work here of late that I've also got to be careful about. I'm going to exhort us all. The, the work of church merging. Oh, I can get a little confident in that. Oh, where do you go to church? City Light. And it's also, we've merged with Gant Grace. Oh, I've heard about that. That's amazing. Y'all do it. That's so grateful. More churches should be doing that. And the story goes on and on around Roanoke and others that are hearing about what we're doing. And all of a sudden, the work of being a church merger can lead to flesh confidence. It's so subtle. It's always on the lookout. Whenever our mentality looks at what we're doing, what we've done, in 2005, in a book called Soul Searching, The Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers, it was done by Christian Smith and Melinda Denton. They were out of UNC Chapel Hill. They interviewed 3,000 American adolescents to say, what is the American spiritual landscape? And after those interviews, they came up to five tenets that they see as now American spirituality. Number one, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Number two, God wants people to be good, nice, fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most other world religions. Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy, to feel good about oneself. Number four, God does not need to necessarily be particularly involved in one's life except when he is needed to resolve a problem. And number five, good people go to heaven when they die. And so in 2000, this 2005 work coined the term moralistic therapeutic deism as really the prevailing American religion. That's not the box we get to check. Either Christian or Buddhist or Hindu or, or the growing box now is none, unaffiliated. But really, if we were to check it by our lives, this is the American religion. 
We believe God exists. God made everything that's wonderful. Fine. We're, but we're now busy about our lives, getting happy and fulfilled, purposeful, finding out what our assignment is. God's there if we need Him, and if we're good enough, we go to heaven. There are no Judaizers in the church today. But this is the teaching of dogs and evildoers and mutilators of the flesh. And it needs to be opposed. Moralism. We're going to get right with God by our actions. By what we do, we'll be right with God. So on the right, get enough good religion and you'll get right with God. On the left, get enough activism and you'll get right with God. It's all about what we're doing. This moralism that we're living. Get right with God by what you do. Therapeutic. Well, feel good about yourself while you do it. So figure out what your identity is and your happiness and your purpose and your fulfillment. And if I hear one more preacher say the word assignment, I'm just... Where of your destiny and your assignment? And we're all about us, how we feel, what we're doing. How quickly are we exalting human merit over and against the cross of Christ? Where is our confidence? Paul has now set himself up as a foil. Who's going to boat? Who's, who, who's getting in the ring with Paul? You want to get in the ring and take on that resume? Judaizers? But look, at these are life verses, friends. Whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Everything is loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Confidence in the flesh counts for nothing. It is a total loss. His religious rituals, his right ancestry, his special accolades, his spiritual ethnicity, his strict law-keeping, his zeal, his moral behavior, nothing. My goodness, my morality, my sexual purity, my educational accolades, all this, Nothing. It means nothing before God to make me right before Him. No special standing, no special privilege, no favor, no merit based on what we do and how we feel. Do you have gain? Paul calls it loss. You think you have assets that you can point to? They will actually become liabilities. You think you have treasure on your own? They're rubbish. Or those of you holding the King James Version, dung. We all have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. Isaiah 64. To put confidence in the flesh is spiritual bankruptcy. Now please see that if you read Paul's letters, he's not hating on his Jewishness. He's not hating against his ethnicity. 
He longs for more Jews to know Christ. Romans 3, Romans 9. He's just saying the Jewishness does nothing to get special merit unto salvation. The gain I had, look at the, the flesh focus here. Here's the gain I had. Here's, I, I count everything. I suffer loss. But we finally got to get to the point into this. Everything's for the sake of Christ. Knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, that I may gain Christ. Do you see the contrast here? We've got to come to the end of our goodness. Confidence in ourselves counts for nothing. No. Some of us are trying to indulge ourselves with the world and see if we can get satisfied. This, this text really doesn't hit that. If you're trying to just live full, indulgent lives of the world and just eat, drink, and be merry and try to be fulfilled, this is for if you're trying to live before God and make yourself right and you think you are, this is what this text is hitting. I pray that this text humbles us under the grace of God. And also, if this text is you and you feel like you're not done anything, if you don't feel like you're right before God, and you feel dejected and despairing, and you're like, how do I come into a church? How do I be a part of a church? And you're thinking, how do I do this? Everybody's got, it. Everybody's got things together. Do not try to work yourself back up into good standing. And so what needs to happen from this text is, those of us who think we're self-righteous need to get humbled. And those who are dejected need to realize it's not by our works that we're saved. And you can trust in Christ today. Self-confidence is not gain, but it's loss. It's not asset, but liability. It's not treasure, but rubbish. The only thing that counts for life is knowing Christ Jesus the Lord. True confidence. Verses 9, 10, and 11 will show us our true confidence, our salvation in Christ Jesus the Lord alone. The many will see this. We don't want to impose theological categories upon this, but in the experience of salvation, even in the Romans 8 order of salvation, we even see echoes of that here in Romans 3. That we may be found in Him, having a righteousness of my own that comes not from the law, but that through faith in Christ Jesus, in righteousness from God that depends upon faith. The question is, how are we made right with God? And it's not by what we do or how we feel, but it's a righteousness from God. Through faith in Christ Jesus, we are made right with God, not by what we do, our own works, but in the work of Christ who came and lived among us. So what is Christ's perfect work? It's a perfect life of obedience who fulfilled the law. I didn't come to abolish it, he said. I came to fulfill the law. There is finally a law keeper among us. And his name is Jesus. He kept the law. Not only morally, but he kept the law ceremonially that all these sacrifices and priests were pointing to him to one who would make atonement for our sins, a mediation unto God. It is His all-sufficient work of death on a cross. This sacrifice that's perfect enough 
to cover my sin. It is his glorious work of resurrection from the grave, victory over sin, death, and evil. So do you believe that God came in the flesh, Jesus Christ, that he died in the flesh on a cross, and that he rose in the flesh and is now ascended upon high with the name that is above every name, Lord. Do you have faith in Christ Jesus alone for your salvation? The righteous, the right with God, live by faith. And even faith itself is a gift of God. But we preach a message, we preach this good news that God would quicken hearts to saving faith. Do you believe in Christ and in Christ alone what he's done? This is our justification theologically. We are justified by God and made righteous. We're saved, we're born again, we're made alive, we're made new. But this is in Christ and in Christ alone that we sing about. Faith itself faith alone. We don't add anything that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may be sharing his sufferings, becoming like him in the death. We don't make a decision and then just wait till death or till he returns. We are saved and we are being saved. We're Working out this salvation with fear and trembling, this sanctification, this obedience in response to the grace of God. But this is by being in Him that I may be found in Him and know the power of His resurrection. This is our discipleship after Christ, being His servants, His witnesses. And what's the primary means of our being made holy? Suffering. Jesus suffered to secure our salvation, and now we suffer in this life. We all suffer in this fallen world, but do we suffer for the sake of Christ? Our suffering reminds us that we are following the crucified Savior, but risen Lord. And we're being transformed into His image. But careful, careful Christian. We don't, not Christian, but Christians. We're, we're saved by grace, and we're being saved by grace. We're, it, we're justified by His grace. And now even this, to endure suffering, these, we need His new mercies. We need His all-sufficient grace to suffer like Him even unto death. But I am sure of this, that He who began a good work and you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. From beginning to end, it's grace and grace alone. That by any means necessary possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. We will be glorified with Him one day. Our bodies will be either resurrected or transformed. Eternal bodies, imperishable. We've been saved from the, the penalty of sin in our justification. We're now being saved from the power of sin. Now we're going to be saved from the presence of sin one day in kingdom come. And we're clicking on articles on how to build self-confidence. We're trying to build our esteem. We're trying to be just better people, more so than the people beside us, that other applicant, that neighbor. It's nothing. It's nothing. It, it counts for nothing. 
What counts for everything, though, is knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. Where is your confidence, or better said, in whom? I invite you today to repent of your sin, of thinking if I can just be a good enough person, or if I can just do this, if I could be seen doing this, or if I could just feel this way, then I'll feel right, and even maybe right with God. Repent of this today. It's a polluted garment. It's filthy rags. It doesn't count for anything. Repent and believe the good news that Jesus' perfect work makes us righteous. And now the righteous, the righteous live by faith. It's a faith, it's a life that looks different than the world. It's a life that's obedient to God. But it's a life that He gives us by the transforming, powerful grace of His Spirit in our life. From beginning to end. He'll complete this work. Thank you, Father, for reminding us again. Let's pray.